Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for Jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Yeah, it's Sizz's favorite podcast, a.k.a. the Chad and Cheese podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel <laughs> Cheeseman. Joined, as always, the Arsenio to my Eddie, Chad Sowash, is in the house. And we welcome back good friend of the show, Torin Ellis. He is the principal of the Torin Ellis brand, one of the best speakers around, consultant, advisor, and just all-around good dude. Torin, welcome again to the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I think it was back in September 2018. I get to make my uh, Chad and Cheese debut. It was beautiful. (laughs) And and let me tell you, you know, it was around a time where we were celebrating blockchain and artificial intelligence and machine learning. We talked Mm -hmm. a lot about cryptocurrency and some of the other attributes of change inside of the the workplace. But then, then Joel and Chad, we were also uh, ignoring babies in cages. Uh, And here we are now in 2024, where it's taken more than 200 times for us to federal on a federal level, pass Mm -hmm. an anti-lynching bill. More than 200 attempts to pass an anti-lynching bill. And yet in the last two years, we've seen more than 500 critical race theory bills in states all across uh, the country. So we got a whole lot of work to do. So leave it to you to jump right to the, go right to the chase. Right to the meat. Believe it or not, some of our listeners don't know you yet, Torin. Uh, give us a quick Twitter bio about you, and then we'll dive into all this shit. Yeah, I appreciate that. Coach, consultant, speaker, all things diversity and inclusion. Said another way, I am a frequency of humanity. I am a voice 
of humanity. I am an advocate of humanity. And so everything that I am attempting to do for the both of you and for the audience, everything that I'm attempting to do is to just simply make it better for people in the places in which they work. It's it's pretty amazing because when I first got into the, let's say, for instance, the the state federal government and, and working with them along with major Fortune 500 companies, I, we heard this term universal design. And universal design meant it was good for everybody, individuals with disabilities, didn't matter, right? Whether you could hear, you could, you didn't have sight, didn't matter, right? Universal design. But the beautiful part about universal design is it didn't just make things accessible for those individuals. It made things better for everybody. So what you're talking about, and I wish we could get on this talk track, okay? This doesn't just, everybody's talking about, they want to they want to focus on race. They want to focus on gender. They want to focus on people who, who are not gendered, right? Instead of saying, this is good for humanity. It's all good. Let's roll with it. And that being said, unfortunately, and this is out of the New York Times, th- there's been a backlash, against what is called wokeism and, and the on banning DEI programs in public universities and even in states. I mean, there, there have been books. I mean, there's just been so much backlash. We had such great momentum after the tragedy of George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, right? We had so much momentum and we felt like we were going in the right direction. But for God's sake, what the what the hell happened? Yeah. So uh, first, I want to go back to the universal design piece, because for a person like myself, I tend to go into organizations and or will stand on stage and say or use the phrase organizational redesign. And it's not that I feel like the universal design is short sighted. It's not that I feel universal design uh, is in any way dismissive or nefarious. Mm-hmm. I think it was a best attempt at that time. And I feel like it's a best attempt in the time where wherever it's, you know, whether it be a product, a service, um, some sort of access to a a building, whatever. I I do feel like universal design has its place in our, you know, commentary. I also feel like we should be expending or spending a great deal of time in organizational redesign, which is where I am. And so to your question, Chad, of what happened? I feel like it's one of those situations where individuals that are in power don't want to relinquish that power. They don't feel like they can share that power, which is, you know, part of what I said in my presentations from 2021 up until now. We need a shift in that relationship with power. Period. We we need to find a frequency. We need to find that that metal within us that allows us to speak up to have voice in situations that are are unjust or or that are unfair or or that are biased or that are inequitable. We absolutely have to be able to call a spade a spade. And what that means in calling that out is there will be some sacrifice. There will be some sacrifice. People will lose promotional opportunity. They will lose favor with their bosses, the in crowd in the workplace. You will lose choice assignments. You may lose bumps in pay or or whatever. You will sacrifice when you use your voice, but it's mandatory that we use our voice because status quo honestly is killing us. It is a direct correlation between the the rise in mental health and challenges that people are exhibiting and discussing in the workplace and the fact that so many are trying to remain status quo. So I believe the clawback that we are experiencing, and quite frankly, I don't even call it a clawback. It's a robbery. 
Yeah. You, know, you understand? Theft, we don't know who took it. It happened. We weren't there. We couldn't see them. But this right. right here is a robbery of the progress that we've made in diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. We see the people who are taking it from us or attempting to take it from us. And it's right. up to us to arrest them. How would you define the current state of DEI? I mean, if, if there was a period where it was on the upswing, we we're all sort of on the same page and moving things forward. And then, as you mentioned, it got politicized. It got used as a way to, to garner attention or political clout or power. Where do you see it today and where do you see it, you know, 20, 12, 24 months from now? Yeah, where I see it today is we still need to advocate even for our educators. You know, the way that I opened up the show, so many people in classrooms all across this country are wrestling with, well, how do we talk about and celebrate and amplify Black History Month? And, mm -hmm. and next month, it'll be Women's Month, Women's History Month. And I, I can guarantee you there are going to be people who are going to be struggling with, well, how do we amplify and talk about the incredible work from this particular woman or these groups of women or whatever the case may be. So I still see DNI as potent. I see it as present. I see it as effective now as it has ever been. And where I see it in 12 to 24 months is that we will have made progress. The question, Joel, is how much progress? And what I'm tired of, if, if tired is the right descriptor, I'm tired of minimal progress. You know, it's so small that even that tiny bit of advancement, that tiny bit of, of sharedness, if you will, is something that people are trying to uh, to take back. And so I believe that we will see progress today. We'll see it at the end of 2024. We'll see it in 2025 and 2026. Question becomes, how much of it will we see? But from where you sit, you know, minimal progress. But then it, from my perspective, we see like huge hits. So when the Supreme Court throws out affirmative action, that's a, that's minim, that's many steps back for a few steps forward from there. So you talk about progress, but what's your what's your sense of these big hits that we're taking with whether it's state legislation and, and public education, whether it's a, the Supreme Court, like from where you sit, these are huge hits. Yes. Yeah, they are. Which is the reason why I would challenge a leader who says that we are an apolitical organization. You cannot detach the reality of how an individual grows up or how an individual is living, migrating, navigating life. And so just like you said, you bring all of that to the workplace. There are people who heard that decision who were floored, floored. They couldn't even focus the day that that decision came out from the Supreme Court. And for days and weeks, maybe even months after that. So you can't really separate the two. They are major hits. But what I would suggest is it's in those times that we absolutely have to be, you know, willing to exercise that voice, feeling empowered enough in our space that we can speak to that situation. We don't need to be somebody else. Just be who you are and voice to your HR team. I don't like this. What are we going to do to make sure that we can take care of the, the marginalized, the underrepresented in our workplace? How can we make sure that we are protecting them? Because while all of that is happening in the Supreme Court, what are we doing to make sure that we are protecting our employees, which in that case happen to be women? It seems, okay, so Roe v. Wade, affirmative action. We, we've been talking about the, the small victories over the years of, uh, let's say, just focus on uh, pay equity, 
right? It would take 50 years and everybody's talking about progress. And this is what drives me so fucking crazy is that the progress is so small that it's going to take decades for us to actually win and, and meet up together, right? To, to, to see equity at all. The question is, there's got to be something we can do to change the narrative, to be able to bring more people under the big circus tent so that we can all work together to get to this goal, right? And the big question is, and, and I see what's happening from, uh, you know, the, the, the side of the right who are actually bringing, you know, uh, litigation lawsuits, those types of things, that they're trying to split, which they have over the years, us by race, right? So if we take a look at it, and not saying that we shouldn't focus on those things, but if we take a look at all the individuals under a certain socioeconomic line, and we focus on all of those people, no matter what color, no matter what gender, what have you, just to be able to drive equity, pay, those types of things, do you think that is prospectively a more successful narrative moving forward because we've got to find a na- we've got to find a narrative man we've got to well it's it's a narrative as well as action chad and so i don't i think it's it's not an either or proposition it is that and so to your point you know when we discuss pay inequality why do we need another report to share with us that we have pay inequality Why can't we do what Mark Benioff did with Salesforce a few years back? And they went through and looked at compensation for the entire workforce, not once, not twice, but three times. I believe that was the year of 2019 or so. They looked at at pay compensation three times in a year to get pay equity across the organization. It's a matter of let's have the conversation but then let's be willing to take action. And when you see individuals that would prefer to be an impediment to progress, when you see individuals that are being stalwarts of stalling, you have to be able to call that out. And so sometimes it's the collective voice. Torin by himself is not necessarily going to work. Torin, Chad, and Joel together is a little bit stronger. Torin, Chad, Joel times 10 is even stronger. And so I would believe that in many of these situations, it's the collective voice that we are missing. We have too many scattered voices that are working. We need collective voices that are amplifying these disservices or injustices that exist in our marketplace. And let me just say this to you. Like I said in the beginning, 200 times to get an anti-federal lynching bill. That wasn't signed until 2022. Now, what in God's green earth would make a person say hanging an individual or lynching an individual is something that I can't get behind? 2022. So it's the collective voice. Sometimes it's going to take us a little bit longer. The fight is going to be a bit more uphill. It's going to be a bit more challenging and nuanced, but we must fight. And where I believe we are missing is, and when I use fight, I use that nicely as well. It's in our taking action. We tire from taking action. And the the secret is that's what they are predicting. That's what they are Mm -hmm. banking on. The other side is banking on how can we distract them? How can we get them off of focusing on the pay inequality? How can we get them focused on the fact that they're not represented in boards? How can Mm -hmm. we get people focused on the fact that we're not hiring uh, people with disabilities? How can we get them to focus on or or not focus on LGBTQ issues and and keep putting shiny balls in front of us Mm -hmm. when inhumanity is something that should be central for all of us. 
But we've got we have a governor who pretty much said that slavery was a work training program. Yeah, that was actually said. Yep. A governor in this United States who was running for president. Not just said, but in a in a textbook. It wasn't just a comment. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions? And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chad and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman, I'm talking about Text Kernel. Ah, okay, that makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, yeah, simplicity. <laughs> seriously, though, seriously. Text Kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways. TextKernel brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. TextKernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. TextKernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey, kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data. I mean, that that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, okay, listener, get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit textkernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Nachos. (laughs) Or that they gain skills that they could use uh, later on in life. Yeah, a work training program. Yeah. So let's talk about something that in the green room we talked a little bit about that I think is incredibly important because you had said that, you know, we don't need white politicians to come into black churches and talk to us. It was a tweet put up by Kenny Akers. And he said in that post, we don't Mm -hmm. need white politicians to come into black churches and talk about racism. We need white politicians to go into white churches and talk about racism. Let's amplify on that. We need, and this is one of the things that you pretty much challenged Joel and I to do uh, back in 2019 when we when we asked you the question, what can two white dudes that actually help the DEIB? You said speak up, but even more so, speak up in your circles. D- don't just go to you know the NAACP local chapter and have the discussion for God's sakes. They already yep. know that shit. Get out there and have the discussion. So I guess what I would say is challenging everybody to do the exact same thing. Yeah. Take that, take those beliefs beyond that of just people who, who have the same belief system and get out there and have those discussions. Yeah. The truth of the matter is that, you know, life is challenging, you know, it, it building relationship, it's challenging. Everyone doesn't necessarily get along. I have people that I don't necessarily like or wish to be around or have drinks with or socialize with at networking events. And some of that is because I know who those individuals are. Some of that is I don't know who they are and I'm a bit of an introvert and I'm not willing to walk across the room and introduce myself, nor do I care if they come across and introduce (laughs) themselves to me. I'm not being mean about it. It's just the way that it is. But for the most part, 
What it requires is that we are honest in and outside of our circles. And so, yes, I do want people to have conversations around inequality and access to opportunity and shared power and resources. I want people to have those conversations at their uh, holiday table, in their gatherings, in their Mm -hmm. community, in the car when they are carpooling. I want them to have those conversations at the Waller Cooter when they go to Chipotle to have uh, lunch with their, their colleagues I want these conversations to be had because the bottom line is it's not all that hard. The truth of the matter is it's not all that hard. I've had diverse teams in every corporate space that I've been in, and my teams have always performed well. I've also had diverse teams that at some point in performance did not perform so well. Whether it was they didn't get a hold of a grasp of the product, they were working on their sales pitch and trying to navigate how to reposition this new addition that we had. We go through the ebb and the flow. But for a person to have a universal theme that diversity is not good or that diversity is always good is something that should be challenged. We should be willing to have honest conversations point blank. I believe personally that's where the HR tech space has failed us is that we really don't have a solid piece of business intelligence software in the HR tech space that supports the dimensions of diversity and correlates with this conversation around diverse teams are more productive and more profitable. So you mentioned Chipotle. And just for the record, don't come talking to me about anything at Chipotle because there's a Bravo burrito <laughs> stuff in my mouth. You're you're on the front lines of this in the, in the perspective of that companies, organizations bring you in to talk about these issues, whether it's training, education, and whatnot. And what's your sense today versus last year, the year before, of companies' appetites for doing this? Because my perspective is, yes, we need people to speak up, but we also need companies to sort of step up as well. You're on the ground floor of that. What's your take on companies' sort of um, appetite for uh, the kind of things that you talk about and the education that you're delivering? Yeah, I appreciate the question. The appetite for me personally is increased. I grew business last year. I lost two clients. One came to the end of their mandate. Another one because I opened up a conference call and used the word shit at the top of the call uh, and they didn't necessarily (laughs) like that. So I ended up losing that particular client, but that's what it is. I gained business. And the reason why I feel good about that is because I have some set rules. You know, 10 years ago when I started working in DNI, I would have an insertion point of anyone who could get me into the organization, VP of talent. It could be um, a recruiting lead. It could be a hiring manager. Now my insertion point is a little bit different. It has to be sanctioned and secured by the executive level. I can begin conversations with anyone in the organization, but if your executive team, your C-suite doesn't sign off on making this investment, then Mm -hmm. I don't do the engagement. So I have a lot of organizations where I believe they are absolutely wanting to be better. And I think, Joe, part of the reason why they want to be better is because when they engage with a person like me, yes, I am unapologetic. Yes, I am very direct, but I'm not unfair. I'm not unreasonable. I'm Mm -hmm. also not a person who takes the conversation away from business. You know, so I talk to them about marrying the business methodology with the social imperative. I get it. People are emotionally charged and want different conversations to take place, but we are running a business. So how do we bring those two together so that all factions feel good? And in the end, Joe, 
I'm telling them you can measure my efficacy by three things, employee engagement, increases in productivity, and positive attrition. That's exactly what I say to them. Employee engagement, increased productivity, Mm -hmm. and positive attrition. Torn, what do you mean by positive attrition? I want to be able to identify the pockets in the organization where we have incredible leaders that are historically accustomed to developing people, inspiring, resourcing, and supporting their people. And those individuals decide that they want to take something else on in the organization. They don't leave. They want to grow inside of the company. So I want to identify those leaders in the organization. Those are leaders where for me, I am absolutely looking at, well, what's the representation numbers looking like? Mm -hmm. Because if I know that Joel is an incredible leader, but he doesn't have any diversity, Okay, so then let me help Joel get some more diversity on his organization. Mm-hmm. He can continue to be that incredible leader, and he will he will be a thrust for pushing people in the organization. How, how does Torin do that? If, if Torin's a great leader, but he doesn't have any diversity or representation, how do we mm-hmm. help him in that regard so that he can bring people in, inoculate them in his system, and help them positively grow in the organization? Mm-hmm. Three ways that we can absolutely measure the efficacy of DNI. So my, so my comment would be I'm so I, I wasn't expecting that to be your answer that things are improving and getting better. So my follow-up question would be it sounds like you're confident that this isn't I guess a form of tokenism just a way to say hey we are embracing this. You feel like this is real uh genuine change that companies want to make from your perspective. Not feel like I know it is because I signed six-figure deals. That's great. And, and I don't I don't mean it as a minor flex, but I, I use it as an example. There is absolutely no way when people reach out to me, well, Torin, can you do an, a, an engagement for 15 or 20K? Nope, can't do it. Yep. I charge that much for speaking. So if you want me to actually come into your organization and serve mm-hmm. as a fractional or virtual chief diversity officer, yeah. because that in many ways is what I'm doing. It, I'm either fractional, I'm virtual or at the bare minimum, I'm complimentary to whatever is currently in place. If you want me to do that, then you're going to pay something similar to what you would pay a person doing this work full time because I'm building it into the organization so that when I do walk away, even in that mandate where I use shit at the top of the conference call, trust me, (laughs) they are further along today than they Uh were two years ago when they started working with me. And I'm confident in where they are today. And versus where they were two years ago. So you will absolutely make an investment. So to me, there is no question as to whether or not they are just box checking or if they are serious about the investment being made. That's fucking great. The beautiful part is that you're attracting. These are the companies really that you're attracting, right? These are the ones who really want to make a change. Okay. That's not everybody. The question is, because there are a lot of companies who they just want to step back. They don't want to be in any political target area whatsoever. Right. And you've heard a lot of the DEIB change into, well, let's just drop the diversity and just focus on inclusion, equity. Is that a path forward? Is is that kind of like a way to to hopefully kind of like uh, get away from some of these wokeism uh bullshit narratives and just focus on getting shit done because you are dealing with the creme de la creme of companies who give a shit, right? What about all those that maybe they do, but they're afraid because they, they, they don't know what to do. What do they do? 
Yeah. So I, I will say, you know, and I, I'll catch some flack for this because I've caught it in the past, you know, yeah. two years ago or last year, 2023, my objective when I was on stage, Chad, was to mm-hmm. not say the phrase diversity and inclusion. Okay. That was my team. My team said, as we were doing speech prep, yeah, can you make it through the year, stand on stage, be the influencer that you are in this space and yeah. not use the phrase DNI. And I did. I was able to do it far less. I probably took, a, I mean, it was a precipitous drop in my using that phrase. That being said, everything that I do is still focused on that theme of DNI or humanity that I mentioned in the beginning. And so I am not really, you know, it's six in one hand, half a dozen in another. If an organization right. wants to change the acronym, and add a J to the end, fine. If the if the organization wants to drop the D uh, and only talk about uh, inclusion and belonging, I'm fine with that. I don't care if I genuinely know where they're coming from, their position, mm-hmm. that's what matters to me. I think that we can get to where we need to be in terms of working with that muscle, getting that courage, being yeah. more bold and authoritative in the marketplace, being able to stand up to their geographic, regional, uh, statewide politicians or others yeah. that be. If we have to take a step back to be able to begin making progress, then so be it. I'm not worried about letters. I'm worried about us making progress. Are you struggling to attract the talent you need today? Do you lack visibility into where your recruitment ad dollars are really going? There's a better way. Acquire ROI is a programmatic job advertising platform built to optimize your budget and supercharge hiring. Acquire ROI automatically manages and measures recruitment ads across job boards so you can allocate your budget based on insights, not hunches. Get to quality candidates faster and cost-effectively scale hiring across roles, all while gaining complete visibility and control over your recruitment marketing investments. Say goodbye to manual guesswork, inconsistent performance, and wasted spending. And hello to optimized automated campaigns that produce qualified applicants. At Acquire ROI, we make job advertising easy. Visit us at acquireroi.com and start transforming your talent acquisition today. So is that so that you could separate yourself from the performative? Because just using the acronym doesn't mean anything. It's all about outcomes, right? We've talked about this over the years is that there have been millions of dollars in some cases, like Facebook put millions of dollars into a program. They got nothing out, right? There, There were no outcomes. We saw a lot of CDOs, chief diversity officers who were hired, who had no resources, no staff. They could do nothing. They were pretty much just a figurehead that was there who knows what for, right? That all felt incredibly performative. Is that your way of stepping, pushing yourself away from the table and say, this is way too performative. We've got to focus on outcomes. Yeah. So uh, let me just say this to you. Uh, In March of 2019, Russell Reynolds put out a report uh, and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm butchering the title of the report. It's finding your next chief diversity officer. Uh And in that report, and I'm, I'm doing this purposefully. I'm not trying to get the pod in any trouble, but I'm making a point. Russell Reynolds in that report said that most chief diversity officers are underfunded and under-resourced. Yeah. Okay, cool. That was no surprise. What pissed me off is organizations will continue to give that four $500 million retained executive search firm mm-hmm. diversity-related searches they still get a pass on not providing diversity in the pipeline or under consideration. So we're talking multi-million dollar search assignments. And here we are writing a report saying that CDOs are under-resourced and underfunded, yet they are not 
holding themselves to a higher standard to support the diversity efforts inside of these organizations where they are taking diversity related assignments, not just an open rec, a diversity related assignment. So the problem that we have is we are, we don't have enough accountability. We got to have accountability with the vendors. We have Mm -hmm. to have accountability with our internal staff. And one of the things that I said is it needs a declarative statement from a CEO. It needs a willingness of that CEO to reallocate resources. And then we need to hold people accountable. Leadership needs to be held accountable. And the bonus of that, whenever I go into an engagement, if you want to see DNI change in your organization, all mm-hmm. you have to do is ask every employee across the franchise, what did you do to support the CEO's uh, diversity initiative? And like you said, some are going to be like, I did this, or some are going to say, I tried that, or others are going to say, I didn't do anything. I ain't give a damn. I ain't care. I ain't want to do yeah. nothing. I don't care about it. Cool. If you care about your job, if you care about that company, your leadership, that relationship, I don't believe that people will year after year after year say that I didn't do anything. I believe that if you are around something long enough, you eventually, Joel, will begin to open and express your growth in that way. Something that I saw you do from 2018 up until now. While you may have been a person who cared about DNI in 2015, 16, 17, and 18, and may have been silent about such or not as a vocal about such, you are a totally different person now in that tenor, that tone, that amplification in 2024. Six years. So when you are around something, you will eventually show that you care about that something. So I think that's what we're look we're missing the accountability piece. I have to say on the show, we're we're proud. We're proud of seeing the. I thought the, the growth the, was yeah, only in my waist waistline, but uh, I appreciate that, <laughs> Torrent. Curious. So currently, you know, a recently high profile people like Elon Musk and Mark Cuban have been going back and forth on the DEI argument. Just curious from your perspective, when you see high profile people debating this. Do you think what a bunch of knuckleheads looking for attention or do you feel like at least there's some light being shown on this issue and at least people are talking about it? Just curious your perspective when Mark Cuban and Elon Musk go at it about this this topic. Yeah, I appreciate you actually bringing that uh, example up from a few months back. I tend to I, I don't look at it with a side eye. Let me just say that. You know, I tend to look at the essence of what's being exchanged and to kind of quickly determine whether or not people are genuinely doing what or saying what they what what is being said. Uh, in that case, I felt like both of them was, were genuine. <laughs> Elon does not really support DNI, and I've gotten that both through his efforts and through friends that you and I both know that have consulted with the Tesla organization. Mm-hmm. So I know firsthand or very close to firsthand that he doesn't care. On the flip side, uh, Mark Cuban, he had to have a couple of wake-up calls. It took some wake-up calls for him to understand, wow, wait a minute, I need to do and say a bit more inside of my at least Dallas Maverick organization. So, So here's the deal, though. In that example between Cuban and between Musk, there was this pastor on the south side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. The pastor's name was Corey B. Brooks. And I'm going to paraphrase what he said. He said, it's beautiful that Mark Cuban is sticking up for DNI, But the truth of the matter is that 
uh, I don't see DNI being applied to any of the young people that I'm supporting on the south side of Chicago. Yeah. And he went on in a very long thread to just simply said, I feel like it's a hot air balloon. It's a lot of people grandstanding and yeah. talking, but they're not coming to the south side of Chicago and working with these young people that I'm working with to introduce them to opportunities, skill development, potential places of employment, mentorship, resources. They're not showing up here. So right. there is a flip side to the conversation. Yes, we love when the celebrities or high-flying uh, corporate titans get in, uh, engaged in the conversation, but I also don't want us to forget the least among us where this conversation should be having some efficacy and impact. I'm going to let you out on this. Uh, it's February, which is Black History Month. What does the month mean to you? And what would you like to say to two white guys like us in terms of how we should look at and think about Black History Month? Well, the month means everything to me because the woman who is my mother, a person who loves me, her birthday is Valentine's Day. So this <laughs> is one of my favorite months of the year. It just so happens that it has some other dimensions, one of which is to include Black History Month. Listen, it's 28 days. It is what it is. I can never wake up and not acknowledge who I am and the dimensions in which I bring to this thing called life, whether that be bad or good, whether I'm inside of a corporate corridor or sitting inside of a community, walking through a mall, relaxing in a park. I can never forget the fact that I am who I am and I bring this with me. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's a laborious thought. Sometimes it's heavy. Sometimes I'm operating and moving with a bit, or, bit of apprehension and fear. So what I would share to you as two white men is to just simply know that that's how it is for me. It may not be that way for other friends that you have or whatever the case may be. I just want you two to show up and remember what I always have said, potential minus interference equals results. When you look at the problems that we are facing, the both of you and others that are listening, when you mm -hmm. look at the problems that we are facing, what's your potential to make a difference? Sure, you may have some interference, some roadblocks, some things that are in the way. How do we get them the fuck out of the way so we can make some results? P minus I equals R. Amen, amen, amen. Well, this is a big shout out to, to, to Mama Ellis, by the way. Big shout out, birthday shout out to Mama Ellis. Happy early birthday. Uh, Torn, we appreciate you coming on the show as always. Love, always love having your voice around. If somebody wants to connect with you, they want to find out what you're doing, uh, where would you send them? Uh, at Torin Ellis across all of social media and on the web, TorinEllis.com. Really simple. Love, love it. it, my man. Love it. Thank you, Torin. Chad, another one in the can. We out. We out. Thank you for listening to what's it called? A podcast. The Chad. The cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout outs of people you don't even know. And yet you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho. Pepper Jack. Swiss. There's so many cheeses and not one word. So weird. Anywho. Be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chatcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese.
It's so weird. We out. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.